There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Alexis the midwife. And I'm Becky the doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Acast, iTunes and Spotify and follow us over on Instagram. So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box. Today we are joined by Ali from The Positive Planner. Ali is a mum of two co-author and illustrator of the brilliantly successful Positive Planner series, mental health advocate and life coach in training. Ali, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Hello. Thank you for having me. What a wonderful intro. (laughs) Well deserved. We like to start by having a think about just diving straight in and asking you about your pregnancy and your birth stories. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yes. So my children are now seven and five and a half. And my pregnancy for my first son, for my son, was actually really a magical experience. Very lovely, very textbook. My birth was even pretty good, even though he was nine pounds nine. Um, he was a whopper. Yeah, a bit of a whopper. The, the midwives were high-fiving me in the, in the birthing suite. Like, how did you do that? And I was like, I don't know. He looks tiny to me. <laughs> So that was all kind of pretty textbook, pretty good. I did hypnobirthing. I was really like, I'm one of those people that I have to indulge myself in every single, like, I'm just kind of give me all the information, you know, I don't Mm. shy away from it, from anything. So I felt that I was really empowered in that birth. That was really, really quite amazing. And then um, breastfeeding, very, very difficult, a whole nother thing. Um, mm. a completely new thing to learn. My son was tongue-tied and that that bit was actually really traumatic for me. So I think there began my sort of, my ride with anxiety and motherhood actually began probably, <clears throat> yeah, probably about two weeks when I got home. I thought he was latched fine. He was a beast. So nobody mm. was noticing. And then he started to lose weight and that's when it got really tricky for me. So I was quite lucky in that sense that I wasn't anxious about the birth. I had a great birth. You know, I had a healthy boy. I mean, he was in hospital for a little bit with a bit of a chest infection. But, you know, the breastfeeding was definitely where that began. So my breastfeeding journey carried on and we sort of got on fine. And then I found out I was pregnant with my second when he was nine months old. 
which was a huge shock for me and totally unplanned. So that must have happened just as I'd stopped kind of the breastfeeding with him. He'd just yeah. sort of gone on to solids and and there I was. I was pregnant again <laughs> in a tiny flat in Peckham, you know, not really naming the first part of motherhood. And then here I was going again. And um, it definitely freaked me out completely. But I knew that I wanted to keep her. So we sort of started on that second pregnancy journey quite soon after the first <laughs> we had this um, conversation didn't we when we were away for a weekend Ali because you and I we were both talking about our nine pounder boys and then we both had yeah. a girl 18 months after because yeah, I was, was pregnant again so with Ivy similar. and um mine was a bit of a shock as well because of the fact I'd had an infertility journey with Toby and mm. I just hadn't quite considered that it could happen so fast, which is stupid because <laughs> I'm a midwife and we hear these stories all the time. But having two kids 18 months apart is basically having two babies, isn't it? It's yeah. like having two babies. And for someone like me, I'm, I know I am one of the positive planners, but actually the reason that the, the books have been designed is because I'm terrible organisation. So I have to plan <laughs> because I'm really bad. Um, I'm like kind of a bit chaotic. So uh, having two babies that sleep at different times, eat, mm. you know, eat and breastfeed at different times, need different things. It was for me just a total overwhelm. Mm. Um, and, and having... Um, the guilt as well, I found, I think we'd spoke about this, the guilt of the the toddler. I mean, oh, I you know. know, he was so little and didn't understand and that was really hard. So yeah, it was it was a huge shock and a massive learning journey. And we feel it, don't we? They adjust they adjust really quite well. It might take a little bit of time, but they're very used to sort of going into newer ch- new chapters and adjusting but us as the mums I think we just carry that load on our shoulders like I feel like I can't give you the time that another two-year-old would be having right now and it feel it can feel heavy sometimes can't it it yeah, can when definitely. you've got um a, a two-year-old and a six-month-old they're both in such different parts of the growing up journey aren't they the two-year-old wants to run about and you're still very much holding the other one and I think the way we live so separately, sort of in lots of cultures where you're living in more sort of extended families or, or sort of tribal gatherings, then your kids will run around with all the other kids and other people will kind of pick up. And I know certainly for me, when the kids started nursery and school and you get your other mum friends that come in, suddenly you're like, oh, OK, this is this is what it's like, because the baby days can be quite isolating, can't they? But then when when you've got that tribe of other mums and suddenly they're like, I'll do supper, come round, you know, and so you're looking after the babies and another mum's doing supper and you're like, OK, it, it, we really aren't meant to just do it on our own, are we? That's the 100%, thing. 100%. That is so true. And I think that's why lockdown for me, it was mm. actually seriously triggering for mm. my... Um, so I was actually diagnosed with postnatal depression. I didn't see that coming at all. Mm. Um, was this I've after never your been... first or your second, Ali? It was after my second. After the second. Yeah, so my first, I didn't have any signs of, you know, just the normal sort yeah. of, you know, baby blues and, you know, very emotional, big change to your life. I was only 26, so all of my friends were still very much in the career game in London and all of a sudden I was at home with a baby and that was actually okay but it was the second that sent me into my own sort of lockdown if you like Mm -hmm. um because it was so difficult to leave the house Mm. (laughs) it was impossible um and also just the anxiety of what what ifs what will happen if 
Mm. The all the different outcomes, I just couldn't cope. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talk a lot in our postnatal book actually about um, not getting caught up in the comparison trap, which seems to be a really strong narrative in our kind of mothering culture mm. of, uh, I think particularly you know, social media can be very connecting in some ways, but then in other ways it, it leads open to this kind of comparison of, well, that mum's doing that and that mum's doing that and, and everybody seems to be achieving all this amazing stuff. And it's almost like we need to sort of connect and come back to just keeping it really, really simple. And yeah. I had a um, an NCT group that all came for massages. So all the women used to come together and they were all really struggling and, I had been at lots of playgroups where it was this sort of like, you know, smiling, but everyone you could see people were treading water, but you, you wouldn't mm -hmm. show it. And nobody, nobody talked about how hard they were finding it. And I remember this NCT group saying, what we've decided is we're all really tired and we're all really treading water. So they had a weekly meetup at each other's houses and each week the one person would take it in turn to go upstairs and sleep while all the other mums so they'd, they'd come around with coffees and pastries and whoever was hosting kind of did did the coffees and pastries and then one mum would take it she would go up to sleep and the others would all look after the baby and then that mum would come down and they'd all have lunch together and it was like a kind of a whole morning thing and I just thought how amazing like that's actually quite a simple thing that we can do right to that kind of you know absolutely genius mm. I think that lo that should be a thing yeah that should definitely be a thing that's put amazing. it in the book Ali put it. oh my god that is positive planning at its yeah, best exactly yeah, I think that's the thing playgroups were my savior by the way I went to um I have got really good friends and I was I kind of I made one of the things that made me feel down was being disingenuous. So mm -hmm. um, feeling like I was faking it was actually making me feel worse. So I just thought, look, I'm, I need to make a decision about being authentic. So as soon as mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with postnatal depression, I thought, well, I'm not hiding it. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not broken. I'm just really struggling. And actually, yeah. you know, at different points in our lives, we're good at different things. You know, yeah. some people... Mm -hmm are amazing at university and that is just like their thing and they just get stuck in and some people really struggle when it makes them really anxious and they can't cope we can't continuously be coping and this was obviously just the you know I, I always say that I'm domestically challenged <laughs> <laughs> and it's just never been my thing I'm just not particularly homely in that way I'm not very good at cooking I'm, I'm cleaning I hate you know all of these things I kind of I'm a very creative hands-on person I like making mm -hmm. things I like you know having my hands in soil like I'm very like that and yeah I think that's one of the things about having children is that you you lose some of those things that maybe have been coping mechanisms in the past you know yeah um like creative outlets and stuff so actually yeah it's an interesting thing I think I, I, I love creativity and I one of the things that surprised me was um I thought I'll be one of those mums that just wants to like draw and paint and have all the glitter out all the time in the house with the kids. What I found out was, because I did art up to A-level and I really, really enjoyed it, but I realised doing art with kids is a very different experience to having a quiet hour to yourself and making something or creating something or using your brain in that way it's an entirely entirely different experience yeah. and again just like judging yourself for it and thinking why am I not the mum who wants to bake with her kids every every other day why are mm -hmm. why am I not the mum who wants to make you know who has 20 glitter pictures on the kitchen wall that I've just created with the kids on a on an evening after school 
I think the answer to that is time and how mm. much time you have and how tired you are. I mean, one thing we haven't really talked about is the the sleep deprivation, which is yeah. for me probably one of the biggest things that affected my mental health was definitely not sleeping. Yeah. Um, you know, you do a half an hour let's actually be realistic a 10 minute art session with your child yeah <laughs> baby it's uh you know and it's an hour clear up like i was literally on, thinking tired. that i was thinking that <laughs> and then you just look afterwards how the kitchen looks oh yeah, and, and that definitely. was one of the things even though i you know i joke and i i, I hate cleaning but i like living in a tidy nice space mm, so for yeah. me the chaos of just this like these whirlwinds you know, always creating and just feeling like if you if you took one of those time lapses in your house, you'd just be moving things from room to room and upstairs and downstairs. And that adds yeah. to it, doesn't it? The oh, pressure of, of someone yeah, just dropping I mean, in in your house looking totally crazy. No, yeah. interesting you should say that because again, Ali, this is like everyone's different and some people are very happy in, in chaos and sort of mayhem and busyness and buzziness and everything's out of place and the house is messy, but they don't care. And to be honest with you, I really envy those people. I really mm. do. Yeah. Interestingly, there is definitely a correlation with me and my mental well-being and having a space, and Becky, we've talked about this lots as well and we write about it in the book, having a space that feels sort of decluttered and somewhat organised. Come on, you have to drop your, your expectations slightly when you have your kids, mm. but somewhat organised. And, you know, like you, Ali, and you both know this, I'm very open about my depression and anxiety story, my perinatal mental health Um problems I had in my third pregnancy but one of the things that we used to have a giggle about even in the depths of it was that the house was spotless because for me to be able to regain some sort of just and it it didn't really effectively work but some sort of control over how out of control I was feeling the house had to have an element of organization about it Mm. and that was one that was actually a that was a sort of almost slightly obsession of mine at the time, to be honest with you. Yeah. Clutter makes you feel chaotic, doesn't it? Sometimes, you know, sort of even, even if you're not feeling anxious and hilariously, sometimes when um, Lex and I have a meeting and I'll go round to Lecky's and we'll be sitting down to just start the meeting. And then she goes, Oh no. And she, up she gets, and she gets the electric Hoover and has to have a little clean around the table. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and Did then she's you know fine. What? Then she's fine. Becky's kids are teenagers. I still have, you know, like <laughs> primary school children. There is always a bit of rice and pasta under the table and <laughs> I've missed it. You know what and it's you like? Can't, you can't relax until you're just like, no, yeah. this is going to just annoy I love me it. this whole meeting. Yeah. I, can, I can see Becky's bare feet edging towards a couple of petit pois <laughs> on the floor and it just, quite frankly, riles me. <laughs> so, Ali, get, going back, because obviously you said you did get diagnosed with um, postnatal depression in the end. How, if you're happy to share, how did you come to that diagnosis? Like, How did it play out for you? Did you find out quite mm. soon or? No. So I think I was in denial for the first year of her life. I think probably at my six week check, I was ma- I was making quite serious noises to my doctor about, okay. you know, feeling mm. super out of control, down, crying a lot. And and I had been really open with my doctor. I always, I never see the point in, in lying to professionals, no. you know. Yeah. And I was kind of sort of saying, oh, do you think that, you know, maybe it's my hormones, da, 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 da. And they sort of, like, oh, well, you know, it's only six weeks in, da, da, da. 
So that was kind of a flag for me. And then honestly, I don't think that I went back to the doctors until she was a year old. Okay. So that's a really long time. That's a long um, time of not feeling yeah. okay, isn't it? Yeah. But it's really but it's a very time. common, that's a very common sort of thing that we hear. There was two signals for me. One is that my mum kept coming over every morning and I couldn't understand why she was here again. And, you know, <laughs> I'm fine. You know, I'm absolutely fine. And she could see that I totally wasn't fine. And I'm very lucky we moved away from London and, and back to Bath. And so, she, you know, that was one of the reasons so that she could kind of come and help. And the other was my sister having a frank conversation with me about medication and anti-anxiety medication mm. um which she had a bit of experience on and she sort of you know said oh you know that sort of you know that door that's open in your brain and and you just worry about everything and you seem to be in that room a lot in your brain and I'm like yeah yeah she's like you know what meds do they kind of just shut that door and I was like mm. okay well that that's something I can get on board with that sort of released the stigma of antidepressants for yeah, me that's a really lovely analogy actually yeah. isn't it because it's sort and, of quite tangible so yeah. yeah, it's very true in terms of, you know, how they work and, and on the on the side of, anti, you know, mm. my antidepressants, it's sort of to enhance low mood. And I think, you know, for me, I couldn't I couldn't sleep because both of my children were terrible sleepers. So they would tag team it through the night and my partner <sighs> works very long hours and weekends. So it was always me that had to wake to wake up and get mm. up in the night. So. I'd probably be clocking like a couple of hours of sleep. And and now I know that I, you know, sleep is such a big part of how I keep mentally well. Mm, like absolutely. now my children are sleeping, you mm, know, yeah. in lockdown. It was one of the things I just had to do because my brain was just on overload. Mm. And I've actually recently gone back on my medication because I started seeing the signs again, very, very similar to the postnatal yeah. stuff. So, yeah, it, it's... A year is a long time to be struggling, but yeah. sometimes it takes somebody else to sort of say you're not yourself. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. But interesting though, this time round though, Ali, because it took a while to perhaps really understand what was going on before, it feels like you recognise the signs super early this time. You're like, I am not going back there again. And I know exactly what that feels like for sure. I mm. love the idea of that shutting of the door. Mm. And I know that, you know, again, I'm very frank like you and I and I had to take, um, I chose to in the end have anxiety and depression medication because I'd stopped sleeping and because I was just being bombarded by intrusive thinking and because I had absolute and complete disconnect to my other two children. And this was in my third pregnancy. And I thought, I can't continue like this. And the new baby hadn't even been born yet. And I can absolutely say from my experience, and I know everybody's different, that it took a couple of weeks that felt a bit ropey. And obviously if anybody is listening to this and they go through something similar, um, it was one of the things I was a little bit like, oh, my doctor didn't tell me that that would be the case. And I actually felt more anxious for a short period of time. And then I hit this point and I remember I woke up one morning and I can't remember where I was, but it was in the 20s gestations of my pregnancy. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've just literally slept a full night's sleep for the first time in weeks and weeks and weeks and I had clarity mm. and it was it was a you know it didn't happen overnight it it took a bit of time but that was the moment when I could feel it just begin to start to lift and you sort of stick your head out of the water and you feel 
that you've taken a huge breath of air, don't you? But that's the same with anything. So, for example, if you did yoga every day for two weeks, mm. it's not going to work. You're not going to start seeing the effects. And that's what I sort of say about medication, whether it's holistic, you know, maybe you're going to get a massage once a week. You know, that was actually part of my journey as well. I was getting acupuncture. My mum was yeah. holding the baby for an hour a week and I was getting acupuncture oh, and a massage lovely. and raindrop therapy yeah. stuff. Um, so it's kind of finding that balance of what works for you, isn't it? It doesn't Definitely. have to be medication or prescription meds. It could be Absolutely. that you but, you, but putting together an action plan is the mm. first part of recognising that you have got to take priority for your mental health because quite frankly, nobody else is going to do that for mm, yeah. you. And it comes to, to to like society, collective responsibility as well, you know, looking out for your friends and like like your sisters sort of having those conversations if you mm. think that somebody is going through it, but maybe isn't able to voice it or talk about it. And, you know, we have this, we talk about this a lot. We have this very stoic response to the postnatal period of this just get on with it. And mm. even down to sleep, I mean, we all know if you look at the science behind what lack of sleep does to your body, it messes with your brain chemicals. You know, it, it, it literally takes you to kind of the edge of hysteria mm. and so what what a silly assumption to just think that we can just cope with no sleep and look after a newborn dependent baby and yet the first you know everybody laughs about it don't they, they go oh, you're never going to sleep again and you're like well it's, it's that's really important that you do sleep you know and mm. I have women coming into the clinic and they are on their knees and they're talking about how they're not sleeping and I'm like okay so what can we do to, to change this then because that's not okay that's not sustainable you know you can't not sleep so I think we really do need to change as a society about you know us taking responsibility for people if we if we think they're not coping very well or they're not able to kind of function with without the sleep that they're getting you know and step in. Yeah and the hilarity of it is that you are spending most of your day trying to get somebody else to sleep. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so like there's a kind of like just to add to the torture you know yeah. you're kind of you're spending three times a day doing mad things to try and get your child yeah. your baby to sleep. Absolutely. Yeah it's it's a really it's a really difficult one and, and I I often I used to say like you know this was I suppose looking back actually quite a sad thing to say I'd used to say like I just want to go I just want to slip out the back door and just crawl into a, a room or a hotel room and I just want to sleep. Like that was my thing. I would always kind of go to that place. Mm. Like I just need to go and sleep or be in a dark room by myself. I often said that I felt touched out. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you're a quite, if you're an overly sensitive person or just, you know, anyone, but if you are quite connected to the sound that's around you, your body, how you don't ever feel that you're alone, and you need time and silence to process your thoughts. Being surrounded by quite loud, you know, needy, having to always think these constant to-do lists, it's really exhausting. And that's yeah. why we get that feeling of kind of just total your body is tingling, mm. isn't it? Just yeah, sensory overload, it. isn't it? Yeah. And actually, I, I always think about the fact that I am a naturally extrovert person. I always have been since I was a child. And um, my husband is incredibly introvert. We're real sort of opposites. But I said to him, since having our kids, the introvert part of my personality has sort of put its hand up and said, I'm here and I actually matter as well. And I realise there are times when I just need to be alone. I need to be in a quiet space because that's where I absolutely recharge. And I would have never thought of that of myself before I had children. Mm. No. 
That's very true, actually. I think what we are learning about who we are as human beings is we are not just one thing. Yeah. You know, like we kind of enter motherhood thinking we are one way and we actually kind of come out the other side. And like, you know, the growth that you do over that nine months and then over the following year of their first birth, you know, to their first birthday, that is a huge transition that we make as human beings, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It really is. You find out so much about yourself. It's incredible, really. It's such a period of growth in your life. So having gone through what you you did, you know, back after you had your second baby in the year that followed and then in more recent months, you know, I for one am very pleased that mental health is on the agenda. People are talking about it more. I know as much as we'd like to think it isn't, it is still a highly stigmatised issue. A lot of women will disclose to me on the sly, especially when I'm teaching, they'll ask, they'll say, can I have a quick word with you and say I've been suffering with anxiety? Mm-hmm. And it still feels like it's a dirty thing to talk about, which is such a, sh- a shame. As a midwife, I talk about it very openly in all my antenatal classes. And because there isn't, you know, that we are talking about it more, but maybe some some people don't always want to, to hear it, but perhaps just to have a, an open and frank discussion about it, Ali... If you were sort of talking to a new mum about things that you'd noticed, uh, signs that perhaps it wasn't just sleep deprivation alone, it wasn't just the hormones, it wasn't just the adjusting to parenthood, that it was more than that, that it was actually PND, postnatal depression. Or perhaps if you're um, talking to somebody who is concerned or worried about a loved one at the moment and thinks this is more than just a few sleepless nights in a row, what do you think uh, can be, from your experience, you know, th- flags, like you said yeah. earlier on, that might indicate there's something else going on there? I think change to personality. If, if someone is a particular way and you're noticing that they are quite angry and resentful, that's a huge mm-hmm. one. Mm. Um, you know, quite sort of just off, off themselves. You know, one of the things I always notice is that, you know, I generally find things quite funny. I do not find things funny when I'm depressed. It's like, you know, you're consumed by, there's no humour and there's definitely no joy. And you don't seek joy either. And I think that's the thing. If you you notice that someone has, the colour has left their body, basically. Like, you you think of someone's aura and you look at them and you think there's just nothing there you can kind of you can kind of tell and and there's a glaze there's a 100% glazed look in the eye mm-hmm. so when somebody's talking to you you're not really taking in what they're saying you're not really connecting and i think that that's a big one to look out for um yeah. and i think people that know me like my mum and my sister and my partner usually i'm kind of quite sort of chatty and and you can just tell it's i think it's it, it is for people that know you to look out for but I think also I spot them at baby, I used to spot them at baby groups too. And I just kind of just go and start a conversation and actually mm. find that being open about my mental health often helps. So, I mean, obviously I've got a business that's supported. So a lot of the time people say, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, I make journals for mental yeah. health and wellbeing. And mm. they go, oh, right. Okay. So trying to find a way in to talk about feelings openly is a good, it's a good thing yeah. to do. Um, but flags, yeah, I think that's the only sort of real one I can, resentment is is a, is a big one. And mm. also, um, if you notice that, or it, it, this is if you're yourself. So for me, and I think, Alexis, you know, you mentioned this earlier, like ruminating thoughts, so circular mm. thoughts that happen. So thoughts when you don't have any resilience, you can't answer yourself back 
they're just going round and round. Mm-hmm. I think that's something really to watch out for because what's happening is your brain isn't kind of being logical. There's no mm-hmm. rational part of your brain happening. Yeah, it's just there's no answers. It's just going round and round. And they, you know, that's why writing is so amazing because when you yeah. see it, you think, yeah. oh gosh, that's actually not like a normal thing. You know, writing down your thoughts is pretty powerful way to start a conversation with someone actually yeah yeah and it's conversation with yourself and sometimes writing it doesn't feel quite as big as saying it out loud does it it's kind of um Mm. I remember when my youngest was growing up and she had quite big emotions you know as as the hormones were practicing their peaks and and but it's quite hard sometimes when you're eyeballing someone and going, what's what's the matter? You know, so we had this little book that I would she would write to me if she if she felt something that she couldn't quite kind of talk about and leave it under my pillow. And then I would get it and then I would write back to her and then leave it under her pillow. And we had this kind of and that was probably from about eight until ten until she was then you know, older to have have those bigger conversations. But it was almost like there was this little bit of age where it almost, it felt too big in a way, you know, it was Mm. sort of, but but writing it. And I think that's the same for adults. Sometimes I'll have thoughts that I think, oh, and when I write them down, it doesn't feel quite so big, but then you see them in black and white and you can be a bit more sort of um, judgmental about them, you know, and, 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 and work out what to do. Yeah, and you can do things like you can have a big rant and nobody's judging you. You can swear and you can shout and you can write things about your partner that's annoying you. (laughs) And you don't have to have that massive conversation, you know, argument, if you like, sometimes. Um, And then maybe on the other side of the page, you get another page and you try and answer yourself back. So be that kind friend to yourself, you know, try and sort of what would what would, you know, someone in my life that cares about me say, Mm. you know, just just trying to sort of find some some sort of logic I think is mm. yeah, difficult because mental health is sometimes not logical. Becky and I have a bit of a pact which is that because I see Becky all the time with work and um, we both live down here in Brighton and I say to her if you notice any changes in my personality that just seems a little bit off and not like me because like you I'm fairly enthusiastic and positive person and actually one of my things that comes up when my anxiety is sort of getting a little bit too comfortable around me is that I go a little bit well I'm either like super anxious or I can go a little bit flat and numb and there's not a lot of deviation in my emotions. Yeah. And that's something that I picked up on. And again, so it's I chat to Becky about it and I say, if you notice this in me, mm. you just check in and see if I'm okay. Yeah. Because sometimes, again, I think we initially when, when you're feeling a bit low or a bit anxious, you don't always quite realise what it might be. I think that is a really good point, actually. One of the things we were talking about before about flags is, um, you know, I said about the glazed look in the eye. Yes. I think that disconnect is mm, yeah. is really something to, and actually disassociation with anybody around you and yourself mm-hmm. yeah. is a huge thing. Um, I always kind of, yeah, I kind of notice in terms of um, if people are sort of like their body language, but I suppose being a coach in training, you sort of learn about doing these sorts yeah. of things anyway. But yeah, I sort of really notice when people are, they feel like, okay, this is how I explained it when I was depressed. I felt like I wasn't in my body. I'd stepped back from my body and was behind myself looking through my eyes. Oh, it's almost like a, a lot of yeah. people sort of say that they feel that they're on the ceiling or something. I felt very much like I was in 
in the room, but almost like a shadow of myself. Yeah. Yes. It's the only way I can really explain yeah. it. So, no, it makes perfect then, sense. And my husband said to me at the time, he's like, what's wrong with you? This is before we had a diagnosis and knew what was going on. And it, it always sticks with me. He said, you're like a ghost. Mm-hmm. It's like you're there, but you're not there. You're not there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I... I don't know. And even though I'd been a midwife for years by that stage, and I know about perinatal mental health, I, it took a little while to see it in myself, interestingly. I think it's yeah. about how you see yourself. If you've never really suffered with mental health, it can be a huge shock. Mm. A lot of people do. You kind of think, I'm not mm. that kind of person. I don't, yeah. you know. It took yes. me a long time to say the words postnatal depression because I didn't associate mm. that with myself because that's yeah. not what I imagined. And I think yeah. this expectation around motherhood is so dangerous. That's the other thing. I was never diagnosed, but I really struggled after my first. And and like you, Ellie, mine, I think, well, I had a, really, I had a, a, a long drawn out birth and then she was taken away. She was a bit poorly. So that, you know, that's a real trigger because suddenly your baby isn't even with you. Mm. Um, and then I really struggled with breastfeeding. And Ella's nearly four. No, she's 14. She's nearly 15. And so back then it was even less support in breastfeeding. Mm. And it was just like, well, it, it shouldn't hurt. If you've got the lateral right, it shouldn't hurt. But there wasn't really anyone to help you. And luckily I got a breastfeeding consultant to help me, but it was a long journey. And I think lack of sleep and, but mine, mine came out in a, in a kind of hypervigilance, like a kind of um, <laughs> super organized, like over organized to the point of, you know, and, and worrying about, you know, was I using the right washing fabric? And, and I think the, the flag that, that my husband was like, okay, you are not right. Is he came home from work one day and I was sitting at the table sobbing with tiredness and I decided I was going to make her some pea puree, but I convinced myself that the, not even the shell, but the little husks on the peas would really irritate her stomach. So I was hand shelling individual pea, yeah, I know, right? Squeezing out the, the innards, <laughs> <laughs> sobbing at the same time at, with this tiny little bowl. And he was like, whoa, back away from the peas, lady. And he like poured a <laughs> glass of wine and he was like, what is going on? And I was like, I'm not all right. You know, and it, yeah. it was never diagnosed because I was very I I had loads of um friends in women's health and they scooped me up brilliantly and I had massage and acupuncture and I went for therapy and it 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 was good so I I didn't necessarily feel depressed and I didn't notice it in myself I just thought I was being really organized but actually I was like this Mm. tightly wound coil that just yeah that basically hand-shelled individual peas one thing to talk about with anxiety so if you've never had to look after anyone before you know, before keep yeah. a human mm. alive, the pressure of keeping a human alive yes, is massive. Uh... And I remember one of the things I used to obsess about was actually one of the things I found really difficult was weaning. I used yeah. to literally be terrified of feeding them um, on my own. Uh, I would just, I this is going to sound really horrible, but I used to wake up in the morning, I'd say, right, to, like, I just got this feeling today's the day that something bad's going to happen. And I would, and I would convince myself that choking was the thing that was going to happen. Yeah. And that, that this was going to be the thing and today was going to be the day. And, and so I was very, very wary about food and I actually managed to gain confidence in that by getting my friends over (laughs) at lunch times and stuff and like saying, come back to my house after play group and, and then them being there and me feeling like actually they, you know, them showing me that, 
their gag reflex was perfectly fine. Mm. Yeah, I think that 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 thing of, you know, keeping another person alive and fed and well. And then I started this mantra, everybody's fed, nobody's dead. This is like, (laughs) this was like, I went to bed happy if people, if children were clean, fed and not dead. Um, You know, there was just like, that was such a heavy, like, you know, hearing you say that now, you're like, God, imagine every day having that sort of, that that worry, that's, you know. Yeah, totally. Exactly. It takes the joy out of it. And I, I've always said since going through the experience I had that anxiety is a liar and a bully. Yeah, that's the little voice in your head. And so to wake up and for anxiety to be niggling away in there, going, oh, you know, your children are in danger in your care. I mean, that's mm. that sort of like again that ruminating, that intrusive thinking, that kind of catastrophizing. Yeah. And and actually, you know, for anyone listening who who knows someone who perhaps might have experienced it or has who has experienced it again, being locked in that pl- space in your head. It, that's that's not a well place to be. That's an ill voice talking to you. Catastrophizing is actually a really, uh, really good word for when you just expect the worst. And that's yeah. your depressive mind not not being optimistic, basically. Yeah, and, um, you know, that can come in so many forms. I remember um, the next thing was like, you know, the thing is, I actually noticed that a lot of these anxieties were also my mother's own anxieties. So mm. um, drinking bleach, you know, always oh, making yes. sure that there was no products in the house that were able to be found and drank or, you know, like these th- sharp things, chokeable mm. things, things yes. on the floor, you know, kind of, yeah, catastrophizing and thinking the worst, like looking around you and almost having this like risk factor. Oh, my goodness. I was exactly the same. I was (laughs) exactly the same. And it's actually really important we say this because although that might not always be something that shows itself up when someone's experiencing acute anxiety, it is very common. And in fact, Mm. when I spoke about that with my psychologist, when I was going through the experience I had, what was so reassuring to hear from him was that that's a really common sort of side effect of acute anxiety and, Mm. you know, depression, essentially. And one of the things I started to tell myself when I started journaling and stuff is all of this stuff comes from a place of love. It's because you love Mm. your child more than you've ever loved anything in your whole life and you want to keep them safe. Like, that's no bad thing. And actually, if you Mm. can just start sort of talking back to that anxious voice and just being, you know, well, come on now. Like, you've done everything that you can. Yeah, absolutely. You are doing the best that you can. That was one of my faves. Like, I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah. yeah. Those thoughts are often the absolute opposite of what you want to happen. Yeah. But in exactly. in the moment of not being well, you think, why am I thinking like this? Is there like, am I just the worst mother that's ever lived? And of course, that's all part of it as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is, is you're probably one of the best because you have hugely high expectations of yourself. And, you know, that perfectionism mm. is is just, you know, taking prevalence in your mind. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So talking about your journaling, so you run the Positive 
so was it the positive planner was the first book that you put together wasn't it how do you hey how did you meet finn and how did it all yeah. begin so Finn and I met on our own motherhood journey. So she just had her little boy Jasper uh-huh. and was experiencing her own mental health things. And I had started being really open about mine on my Instagram, just mm-hmm. kind of talking about the ideas of like writing for your mental health and how it was kind of changing the way I was viewing myself. And it was really helping me and, you know, almost like, why isn't everyone doing this? Why have we been writing diaries for hundreds of years and nobody says when you're a mother you should be keeping one even just even if it's the simple thing of tracking your mood so that Mm. you can go to your doctor and say okay the last six weeks have looked like this so anyway so Finn and I sort of started chatting we were friends before in London before babies and she's super business brain and I'm more of the creative side of things (laughs) so we just thought let's team up and see what happens and yeah crowdfunding we hit our target and then we got the first small batch of books done and it's just kind of grown really organically from that so a seed idea to now a business that we both run full-time I wish I true and I'm genuinely not saying this because you're with me now Ali we spoke about this when we spent that weekend together I wish something like this had been around when I was going through my experience because yeah, I I honestly searched high and low for some positivity and some mm. something that made me feel like I could get better and I would come through this and some strategies and tools and techniques because like you like Becky we 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 are doers and we kind of just mm. want to you know if we see that there's a problem there we're like I have got to sort this out I can't I can't do this and 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 cope with motherhood this is I have to get better for me and for my family mm. um yeah and just you know I, I think I had a, I managed to somebody gave me a coloring book I think and I had some pencils and in the evening I would do some meditation I've always loved doing that and I'm a hypnobirthing teacher as well so that's always been something that I could tap into very true for me the breathing techniques were priceless for me makes mm. such a huge um difference in me when I'm hyperventilating and I can't catch my breath and I literally feel like I I, you know in those moments I'm suffocating but to have something like this which would have enabled me to sit be still and focus and not run away from what I was feeling but almost like look at it head on and say you know this is what I've experienced today these have been my moods that you know this is you know and really kind of taken some time I bet you get a lot of people come back to you and say it's been a game changer yeah we do actually it's really sort of one of the best things about doing it to be honest mm. as we sort of you know people say that this it you know it, it is as dramatic as this is life-changing and but the thing is is all we've done is we've asked you you've done the work you've found the positivity mm-hmm. you've maybe been honest about your feelings you've you've made that affirmation up for yourself for the day to keep in your mind when those mind monsters come in and you know and at the end of the day practicing gratitude it's so simple it's almost just like having the format there and the place to to do it so and I think one of the really amazing things about the positive planner is that we've we've created a community of people that are open and it's Mm. kind of like the little eyelash sort of says you know I get it I'm, I'm here with you you know and it sort of made it okay and that was one of the dreams for the business you know, since the, since Dot was that we would create a safe place to be and to be yourself and to be mindful of your mental health, basically. My nana was absolutely incredible and she always had this expression when we were kids. 
if she was alive today, she'd be over 100. But it was, uh, she would say, you can always bend down and pick up nothing. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression before. But essentially what it means is, you know, if something bad or challenging happens in your life, you know, don't leave it there and pick up nothing, learn something from it. Yeah. Like, and it feels like with you, you bent down, you went through PND and you picked something massive up, which is, which was the ability to share that information to make sure that you could, you know, bring positivity, bring change, um, bring understanding to other women going through the same thing. And I just honestly think it's nothing short of brilliant. And you should be so proud of yourself, both you and Finn. Yeah, definitely. And actually, I nearly messaged you yesterday, but I thought I'd save it until today because I knew we were <laughs> going to speak to you. But I had uh, a client yesterday, um, really lovely, and she has just had her baby and her postnatal was all through lockdown. And she knew that that was going to be a bit tricky. And so she got a positive planner and she said, every day when the baby's sleeping, I leave all the chores, I go and sit really quietly with a cup of tea and I do my, my, my positive planner, I do my journaling. And she said, and it's been amazing. It's really helped her with her postnatal journey. And I thought, isn't that amazing that somebody's mm. planned to have that as part of their so their good. kind of postnatal experience? And she, um, she loves it so much that she's working her way through that and she's already got her eye on the next one that she wants. <laughs> And I was like, well, funny you should say that. I really want the wellness one. And we we're sort of talking about them. Well, that's so lovely to hear that. I mean, yeah. that's, all, that's all we really wanted to do was create a tool that you could turn to. Because sometimes mm. when yeah. there's nothing to actually hold on to, it's really hard to sort of, you know, even ask for help. Or maybe she might not have booked that massage with you because she hasn't planned it because things are so, you yeah. know. So it's it's just about going, you know, self-care is literally the most important thing when you're Definitely. caring for another person but it's always we, the the simple thing sorry lucky that we forget all the time don't we we sort of um it's it's this it's the simple things like having gratitude or breathing mm. or having a mantra or remembering to drink enough water and so having something that we can kind of mm. jot it down or remind us and you know otherwise our thoughts just get chaotic don't they it's sort yeah, of yeah they really do and I think you can end up being a passenger in your own life and yeah. you're not good for anybody if you're not mm. if you're not well I mean there was that quote recently if you're not if you don't make time for wellness, you'll have to make time for illness. And I think that's yes. like, you know, like yeah. you have to every single day you have to practice. Absolutely. Yeah. The, and there's know. that thing about there's 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 physical health and there's physical illness, there's mental health and there's mental illness, and that's everybody. And actually mm. one of the things I think is really important to mention here is that you don't please don't feel like you need to be diagnosed with mental illness or a condition yeah. to um you know, enjoy using the positive planner or one of mm. your, your journals or books, because actually it's, I think every single mother or actually just yeah. human being, regardless <laughs> of where they feel like in their mental well-being yeah. at that time, would probably prosper from using well, I these. I think last year Urban Outfitters in America actually took loads of journals to sell. And one of the things they said was that this isn't just about mental health, this is about mental well-being. And that's the yes. sort of the positivity of it, isn't it? Like, yeah. this isn't just for people that are suffering with depression and anxiety. This is for anyone that suffers with stress, which is pretty much everyone at some point in their life. That's yeah. modern life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's literally And with lockdown, of course, world. and yeah, coronavirus, definitely. you know, we're all kind of dealing yeah. with so much information that we have to process somehow. Completely. But I think it's that that's a really good point is, is we talk about this in body work 
like don't wait until you're broken to come and have a have a massage mm. you know when i was training in asia they have regular body work to stop themselves getting poorly you know or to mm. stop themselves getting all the aches and pains and i remember the the te- one of the teachers that i was training with there said don't you guys take your cars for like regular services? And I was like, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, and you fill up your tank. Otherwise, he said, you wouldn't drive your car and not fill up the tank. And I was like, no. And then we were all these like Westerners yeah. going, oh, like having these aha moments of like, mm. oh, so we do that with our body too, right? And it's the same with your mind, isn't it? The yeah. regular journaling is just keeping it well. Mm, it's not yeah. waiting until you feel unwell. So exactly. I think that's the thing about mental health is a lot of us wait for crisis. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. to hit or for someone else to pick us up off the floor, but you have to like any other part of your life, you have to project manage yourself, don't you? We absolutely love your tools and your strategies. I know that you do these brilliant illustrations in there and you've got these lovely little like ideas and, and techniques for you know coping and, and thinking about how you're feeling uh, in any given moment. We both used your brain tangle in recent months with our children. We used it for ourselves and we used it for children who were having huge emotions, yeah. uh, adjusting to what was going on. Um, my older son, it's really interesting. He absolutely loves school. He loves it. He's like, I think he's a bit of a an unusual one in that regard. He comes skipping down the stairs in the morning. He cannot wait to get in. So lockdown was super hard for him because of that. Yeah. And he missed his friends desperately. And he was cross and he was angry. And, and I used your brain tangle for him to go through. And it worked so such a treat I know I used it at least on a couple of different occasions Becky used it as well didn't you it's so good well I used it for the kids because we we were locking horns they did not want me to be their teacher in lockdown Mm. I did not want to be their teacher in lockdown because they're doing things like chemistry and physics and it was I was like oh it's making me feel really stupid (laughs) and we were all getting like we were all getting a bit cross with each other so we decided to kind of um and I was like, right, there's this thing and it will really help you. But I thought I'd do it as well. But I thought I was doing it for them. Bloody yeah. hell, it was amazing. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I had so, I didn't realise I had so much going on in my head. Yeah. And I was saying to the girls, this is amazing. They were like, okay, calm down, mum. <laughs> so good. But they so loved funny. it. Yeah, I they think loved the thing it. is about like working out what you need is one of the hardest things yeah. to do. But then to come up yeah. with an action plan, you've got like, you've got a thing to sort of go to then and you can literally tick them off and it can be as simple as like I'm grumpy and I need some food (laughs) or like you know or I just everyone's is different obviously but yeah yeah. they are I'm pretty yeah proud of them it's so true (laughs) I Becky always says to me when when everything's coming at me in every single direction um Mm. Becky and I basically have sort of regular therapy of each other (laughs) essentially (laughs) And and I remember one of the, your expressions, Becky, is that you always say to me, when you try and do everything, you might end up doing nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of her like mantras. And I do always mm-hmm. try and remember that and just get down, you know, on paper what it is I absolutely need to do so that mm-hmm. I make sure that I have a day where I feel like I've been at least a small amount of, producti- you know, productivities occurred. Yeah. And that helps me sort of, you know, get well, by that was really. one of the things, to done lists are a thing. So at the end of the day on the planner, you actually say three things that you did really well. And quite often you can you can name more than three things, but just choosing three is quite clever because even if it was, you know, that washing load or, you know, yeah. or getting that work thing done or checking in on a friend even, you know, they oh, don't have to yes. be, you know, there's yeah. kind of... I love that. My daughter just started a new school and she 
has been really, really struggling. And we decided in the end that it just wasn't a good fit. And, and we, we made the big decision as a family to move her. And it's a school that's, um, you know, really passionate about their pastoral care, to be honest with you. And the first thing that they did, the first 15 minutes of their, um, you know, meet and greet at the beginning of term was to write 10 things that they feel good about, that they can do, that they think that they can do well. Mm. And I've just, you know, I can already see such a change in her. And she is a child who's felt really quite frankly, rubbish about herself. Like myself, we're both, my daughter and I, were both um, dyslexic. So she's found school a bit tricky the last few years. And suddenly we had a little girl coming home saying, these are all the things I can do and feeling really proud about it. And, you know, that seeing that change is just fantastic. I think that's the thing about positivity is the more you are positive about yourself, it rewires your brain to look for those things. So that's why sometimes it takes a bit of practice but absolutely and it's always nice to hear as well so we had this thing with the girls where when they were younger they don't we try and do it now but they're older and they don't always uh, partake but when they if they said something mean to each other they had to say three nice things about the person so it was always that like so you know you say you're stupid and you're like okay now you have to say three nice things about her (laughs) and the other person would sit there and be like okay bring it and it's like, incoming uh, uh, yeah and the That's other day good. one of them got really cross and said something mean to me and I said now you have to say one nice thing to me and she was like oh I really like your style and then she stormed <laughs> off and I was like thanks I'll take it that's brilliant that's offsetting your negativity isn't it that's great and it's I like it's that. so funny and it's always good to sort of just bring it around and make them mm. make them see a, a different way so yeah, yeah. I love it I love that in your um, planner you have the gratitude sunshine. I love the let it go balloon and I love the full heart. And I just wonder, because you've got so many throughout your different planners, what's your favourite one? What's your go-to little activity or exercise when, yeah, if you're feeling like a little bit, you know, of a heavy mood coming in, what's quite a good one? So my go-to is the iceberg 100%. And that's because it's kind of this picture of the sort of, the surface of the sea and there's this big iceberg sticking out and it's all about like what you're putting what you're sort of showing to people and and Mm -hmm. how you're portraying you know projecting and actually what's underneath because I think the thing with me is I'm very good at I might not be myself but I'm very good at pushing stuff down pushing stuff down but Mm -hmm. I'm feeling it and I know it and now I'm so much more emotionally in tune it's just about seeing those things in words and articulated you know and a lot of the time it's really ugly things like anger I'm feeling really cross and da 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 and it's stuff that maybe I don't really want to even um acknowledge Mm -hmm. yeah because I don't like it it doesn't fit you know who I am whatever but actually though that exercise is so important to you trying to keep you know keep a face keep everything going da 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 and actually underneath it all what's happening so you've got you've got the positive planner and Obviously, I've just ordered myself the well-being planner. And you, haven't you got a bullet journal as well? So, yeah. So we've got the positive planner, which is a 12-week sort of almost um, program for sort of, yeah, keeping positive. So that's more for like if you're in a bit of a funk. But yeah. anyone can use it. We've got the positive wellness journal, which is much more about mind, body and soul and making pledges to those. And then we've got the bullet diary, which is more of a planning tool. So if you're like me and get quite overwhelmed by the list, it's about having your it's a 12 month undated journal, basically. So you can either mood track in there or you can write your list. It's about keeping on top of 
organization, mm, which can yeah. be a huge stressor for lots of people, but in like a creative way. So that's quite a nice one. And they kind of sit nicely. So they go, the bullet diary was kind of designed to go alongside either yeah. one of the journals. And then we've just launched the Positive Doodle Diary, which is for children five plus. Oh, so fantastic. That's, the dream yes, is for that, families to, to, to sort of journal together. I love oh, that's that. so lovely. I'm so, so happy, basically, that schools talk about mental health so much with children these days. It's like not something they feel ashamed about talking about. My kids will come home and tell me about assemblies that have all been about, you know, mental well-being. And we've had a couple of books recommended, which we've bought, that quite frankly bring just tears to my eyes because mm-hmm. it's just something quite emotive about yeah. reading about people's experience but in a way that's been really beautifully put together for a child to understand yeah. and I for yeah. one you know just I have got a lot of time for that and we yeah. talk about I you know over dinner every evening we talk about peaks and pits of the day because I think and I'm sure that um you know this is a theme that runs through with all journaling whether it be for for adults or for children is like I feel like maybe even I'm guilty of this myself I used to just want my kids to be happy. That was like, that's my, you know, destination. I want my kids to be happy. That's surely a sign that they've, you know, I've been a successful mom and they're, that, you know, they're living their their best lives. And what I've come to realise over the years is that that is completely and absolutely unrealistic, sets yourself up to fail. And actually what you really want for kids is for them to know how to, you know, to be resilient to any sort of emotion that they're feeling and that, you know, anger is a legit emotion and it's important yeah. to recognize when it's there and to be able to know how you you know can can make yourself feel better if you're feeling that way or perhaps how you sit with that emotion and and you don't feel better for for a short while because it's appropriate for whatever you're going through in those moments and that's something that I've realized recently yeah having a growth mindset as an adult is is something that we don't practice early enough and that's mm. why we were like we need a children's one because we just need to start from the beginning yeah. And and creating positive affirmations. So we're all learning all of this a bit late, really, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My daughter did, um, she started CBT when she was seven because she was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. So she had a lot of anxiety and a lot of, a lot of anger because obviously fear and anger, two sides of the same coin, aren't they? And it was amazing that the, the techniques that she learned with her therapist and we were like, why don't we teach this at mm. school? Like, and, and I know more, more schools are now, which is brilliant, but just some of her kind of coping techniques or some of the things she would come out. And I remember my husband and I having a, a disagreement about something and she came into the kitchen and went, guys, maybe you should just take five because neither of you are listening to each other right now. And you're like, yeah. uh, okay, <laughs> wow. that's a really good idea. <laughs> that's it. It's emotional intelligence, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that we need to be practicing as much as any other kind of intelligence. Yeah, um, and you realise they have the capability more than we give them credit for, really, actually, yeah. I think, in our society, to learn all that stuff a lot younger than mm. than, than we do teach it, I think. Yeah. So I and think like, it's brilliant. Like you said, Alexis, it's so important that they do that in school because it needs to be an okay thing to take yourself off and do some breathing exercises that yeah. is like totally mm-hmm. okay thing to do and actually you know over lockdown we've had our highs and our lows um and yeah. you know there was a couple of points where I'd be crying and feeling totally out of control and wanting to get out of the house and Max my son would come over and he would be like right let's do some bunny breathing and he, oh, would, he would help oh, me sweet. and you're just like this is what it's all about it's about yeah. children having tools in their toolbox to cope yeah okay ali now you're gonna to have to tell us what bunny breathing is so yeah i want to know 
It's when you take three short breaths in your nose and then you take and then you breathe one oh. out. So it's that idea of taking um, more breaths in takes than yeah. Out and I like that. that. Birthing. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah, like that. But how amazing <laughs> that children are recognising. No. You know when we're not feeling okay or they're not feeling okay and they're finding ways to to deal with that. I mean, Becky and I talk a lot about. I know that there's that that expression out there it's okay not to be okay which I absolutely do agree with as well but one of the things that that we also think almost is as important and needs to go alongside that sentiment is if you're not okay say Mm, so because people deserve to be okay like it's absolutely should not be stigmatized if you're not in a good place but there's things you can do there's talking therapies there's like you say holistic therapies there's medications and so Obviously, you know, that's something that that would be discussed depending on the severity. But I just feel like from those early years for children, letting us know, you know, I've had a bit of a rough day, actually. I'm not quite feeling myself Mm. and not feeling that they have to skip out of school every day and be like, yeah, it was great. I did this and this and this. And because it's that's just not the reality for human beings. We always, you know, it is peaks and troughs we go through. I think it's that thing of always, uh, you know, checking in even on your happy friend if you know like checking in on everyone like when you ask are you okay if you really think that they're not okay ask again like yeah I mean that is that is that really what you you know you can talk to me you know that making it a safe place and I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing with new mothers and you know midwives do this excellently they don't know they sort of they can sense it um but that midwife care kind of you know goes and your friend like you said it takes a village to to raise a family doesn't mm. it and actually us women have to sort of and and men and partners have to be mm. that sounding board sometimes so ali now you're a little bit further down your parenting journey what are your what would you say your most rewarding and challenging things about parenting older children are not babies older children so when they don't do what you say, <laughs> it's for me, it, it, I find lack of respect is a real, uh, like it's a boundary that I have that I want people to respect me. And I find it really difficult that children cross your boundaries all the time. Yes. So it's, a, it's about learning that it's not a personal thing. And that's one Absolutely. of the things with me is that just, you know, they are just children. They aren't malicious. Well, Sometimes they could be, but you know, <laughs> oh, but generally honestly. speaking, they're learning, and I'm learning too. And yeah. cutting yourself some slack, like, come yeah. on, we're all human, and and try not to read too many books about parenting. Just be more intuitive. Yeah. I think. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah. Becky, you've got to tell that story about the hilarious time when Izzy been watching too much Nick- <laughs> when Izzy been watching too much Nickelodeon and you were having that conversation talking about respect, respecting oh, your God. parents or the lack of it in this day and age. Well, we, we're fully in the kind of teen years, and it's really hard because they're really pulling away from us, and also they're becoming their own people with very different opinions to us. And in order to pull away, they they almost drive a bigger wedge between you know. So so they've kind of de demonized us at the moment we're these kind of you know annoying parents and so <laughs> Barn and I like oh but with our youngest it kind of started a lot earlier so we she was about she must have been about six maybe and we were on holiday and they'd been watching a lot of um Nickelodeon tv shows so American 
TV shows. And in in those TV shows, the parents are never really around. And if they are, they're a bit dumb and the kids run rings around them. And she was just starting to get quite cocky and really back chatty. And like you say, I actually find that lack of respect really, I, I find it quite triggering and just mm. being rude, you know, because we're decent people. We're not like over authoritarian parents, whatever. And my husband had had enough and he's the calm person. So I was like, wow, if he's had enough. And he went in and he said, Isabel, I just need you to listen. And she kind of like, she was so little that it was hilarious because she sort of leant on the kitchen table, like the side, in this really like cocky kind of posture and went, yeah, and I want my own house and a car. I guess we're both a couple of dreamers, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> and it was so outrageous that I had to leave the room because I thought, oh my God, I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh. And then he'll be so cross with me. <laughs> and he went, that is it. Nobody is watching an American TV show in this house ever again. And I was oh. like, wow. I mean, you can't just blanket ban. I'm, I'm work, work, working my way through Nashville. It was like, <laughs> do that. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was kind of like, I think that was the entry into that. Wow. They can really like pull away and, um, yeah. and be quite rude, actually. Yeah, but, I think but, that is the hardest thing to deal with yeah. as they get older and they stop being that sort of tiny little just toddler pushing like quite <laughs> mm. small boundaries when you think about yeah. it and then it's that whole chat back thing it's very yeah, difficult yeah. to keep your cool Ali finally we always ask our lovely guests the following question if you could add a note to pop inside a mother box heading out to a brand new mum with your best bit of advice on it what would it say it would say lower your expectations of yourself Yes, um, you cannot. Like nobody's getting this right or wrong, and nobody's winning. <laughs> Absolutely, this, you know, you might think that everybody is winning at motherhood, but everybody is the same. And just find your tribe. Literally, go hunting for them <laughs> because they're out there. People just like mm-hmm. you are out there. Yeah, and find them and hold them really really tight and I think that's it it's just like don't you don't have to do this alone and actually don't you know it when you meet those people and you're like oh there that's my person yeah we're on the same wavelength yeah and and you know that you would hang out and you would go out with them and you might not even mention your children because you just click and you know and I think it's you know sometimes people are lucky enough to have children with their best friends at the same times and you know each other from before but just find people that you can be authentically yourself with I think that is really being authentic is one of the most freeing things isn't it yeah I really agree actually yeah definitely because I think it's really isolating if you are pretending because Mm. like like you say you're sort of almost not you're not there are you there's that sort of pretend bit of you and then you're here so I think yeah it's sort of much yeah much better brilliant bit of advice yeah I like that very much Ali thank you so much for joining us we are going to add all the information about where listeners can get your brilliant planners from in the show notes and it's been an absolute joy having you on thank you yeah thank you so much for having me If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work that we do, look out for our books, The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums and The Little Book of Self-Care for Mums-to-be, where we will talk further about birth, parenthood, relationships and much more. Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest. Do let us know what you thought over on Instagram and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. See you next time on Notes from the Motherbox. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.